now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From class to cults and all the cheese in between, the movies are B, but your entertainment is grade A. And it's just me this time, folks, and I'm here to talk about 1987's The Barbarians. And we'll get to it right after this. At the dawn of time, in a world of savage splendor, a tyrant of darkness ravaged the land and captured two defenseless children. Raised as slaves, trained as gladiators. Only together could they defeat the evil warlord. They were rogues. Look at the size of you two. Adventurers. Heroes. They were the barbarians. Fight or run. Run. The internationally renowned bad boys of bodybuilding, Peter and David Paul. Get out of here, he's mine. No, get out. I'm going out. I'm going Go ahead. The Barbarians. Feel the power. The Barbarians was released March 20th, 1987 in the U.S., and then April 24th, uh, 87 in Italy with an 87 minute running time. Uh, your budget, I don't have exact numbers, but I know supposedly it took in about $800,000, which seems about right. Um, this is a Canon film. So just to make sure everyone's on the same page, this is the Barbarians 1987, uh, the sword and sandal movie, not Barbarian, the movie that came out in 19, well, excuse me, 2022, 2020, yeah, 2022-ish. Uh, or the 2021 movie Barbarians, 
Um, this is the Sword and Sandal movie starring uh, both uh, the the Paul brothers, Peter Paul and David Paul. Um, your director here is uh, Ru uh, Ruggiero Dadato. Now, that name might sound familiar to some people. Um, you might be thinking like, oh, that's I, I think I know that name. Yeah, you might remember him because he did put out Jungle Holocaust, a.k.a. The Last Cannibal World. He put out House on the Edge of the Park, which was cut up to bits, Raiders of Atlantis, you know, things like that. He also played the Italian Cannibal in Hostel Part 2. Or he had this other movie that you might have heard of called Hannibal Holocaust, which literally is what he's exactly known for. Um, Hannibal Holocaust, um, you know, is one of the most um, infamous movies. I, I mean, I don't know how else to talk about that. I mean, um, if you don't know, what, uh, um, The Last Cannibal World, um, which was a.k.a. Jungle Holocaust, was um, back in 77, and then he put out um, Cannibal Holocaust. And if you've never heard of that, I don't know where you've been, um, but it, you go look it up and you'll understand why it's uh, infamous more than famous. Your screen probably goes to um, uh, James Silk, uh, your producers are, of course, um, Golan and, and Globus, because this is this is canon. I mean, this is canon right in their wheelhouse. Uh, this movie, if you did not know this was a canon movie, um, you're five minutes in, you'd figure out it's a canon movie. Um, and some people uh, maybe are not as well versed with canon uh, from, uh, you know, it's it's run of movies that made money. I mean, the one thing I can say about canon movies, a lot of them made money. Not They were never the most biggest blockbusters of all time. But the movies were consistently made money, and they were aimed at a very specific audience. Um, your distribution, of course, Canon, um, you know, distributed it. Um, it's Canon Films is your production company, um, and like I said, you know, this is a situation where you had the Barbarian Brothers, aka, uh, you know, the the, the Paul Brothers, um, making their uh, I, I want to say is their their fil their film debut. Um, I'm almost 100 sure it is. Uh, they only made no, I take that back. I take that back. They were in a couple of things before this, but this was like when they were basically given, um, they were, they were in DC cab in 83 and then the Flingo kid, but this was really their, their first starring role. Um, they would later go on to be in other things, um, like think big and double trouble stuff like that. Um, but the barbarian brothers were, uh, or the, 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 the Gore brother, not the Gore, brother, excuse me, the Paul brothers, David, um, and, and, um, Peter, were two insanely jacked out bodybuilders. And the real shame is, is if they could act, these guys would have been huge stars because they had million dollar bodies and they just, just are not, not good. Um, both of them actually had a very small part um, later on as bodybuilders in the Oliver Stone movie, Natu uh, uh, Natural Born Killers, um, but I think I'm pretty sure that was completely excised from the film. I don't think it's even in like the director's cut, even in like the credits and stuff, but, um, they are, it, when you see them, you know, exactly, you know, exactly when you're looking at them going, wow, these guys look amazing. And they do, they are, they are phenomenally, um, you know, they look fantastic. Your other stars in this movie are Richard Lynch. Um, he plays Cadar, um, and Richard Lynch, uh, many of you know, obviously, um, he would, he would be in, in all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, you would know him. Some of us might know him from like puppet master, um, you know, the puppet master series. You might know him from invasion USA. Um, he was in, uh, of course, 
um, you know, Alligator 2, The Mutation. He was in Scanner Cop. He was in uh, Death Sport. Uh, God told me to. Um, he was, you know, obviously he was in this. He was in the Seven Ups for crying out loud. I mean, he's he's in the Sword and Sorcerer. You know, he plays a Titus in the Sword and Sorcerer. Uh, he is in a lot of different, very character actor. You definitely know. Um, he's, you know, a guy who, you know, you would, he's even in Lords of Salem, uh, you know, up until, you know, whatever he's in Halloween, the remake in 07. Um, but you know, he's a guy that you definitely know from television, from like Starsky and Hutch and Charlie's angels and, you know, um, Hunter and things like that. And then of course, um, you know, from his movies and then you have Eve, uh, LaRue. And uh, sorry, Eva LaRue, Eva LaRue, uh, most of you might know from um, her acting on, I mean, she was on like, she was on All My Children, where she played Maria Santos Gray on All My Children for a number of years. Um, and that's where I know her from. I mean, she was on things like George Lopez, that, that uh, she's been on CSI, Crumline. She was in episodes of Fuller House. Um, but here she's real young. This is 87. So um, you'll know her from here. Uh, other name you might know. Obviously, uh, George Eastman is here um, in a very small role. Uh, George Eastman, um, you know, again, he was in a few other things that you might have seen. Baba Yaga, um, you know, kind of thing as an actor. He was in um, uh, Antifacordis, which just so if you know about, like, it's it's just, it's it's a horror movie. Uh, he, he made some stuff, you know, there. And then the other guy, of course, is Michael Berryman. Uh, Michael Berryman, of course, everyone... If you know your Hills Have Eyes, you know who Michael Berryman is, of course, uh, because he's Pluto from uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Um, he's also, of course, in Weird Science and Star Trek Four, and, you know, um, Saturday the 14th and Star Trek Five, and like all these other movies that he's in, Beastmaster 2 and stuff like that, and Doc Savage. Because um, it's Michael Berryman, you know, kind of thing. Michael Berryman's in uh, Rob Zombie movies and stuff as well. So there's a lot of character actors um, that you see here. Now, this movie was filmed... Um, it's a, it's an Italian American production. Obviously, Canon Films is um, you know the producers here, um, but it was actually shot in uh, you know it's shot in Rome and then a lot in the the Abruzzi Mountains. Um, and the the great thing about this film, and again, you might say, Jay, this movie's it's not a great movie. I'm not saying the movie's great, but when you look at this, it's you know uh, I don't know the exact budget. You know, nailing down budgets with with Canon is sometimes hard because numbers fluctuate. Because who remembers what and who knows what? Um, the nice part about this movie is that, like, you know, uh, I mean, for for a canon, if you're looking at this and you can tell there are scenes that are shot to make it try to look bigger, but it's definitely small. Um, they're filming outside. Everything looks good. Um, the costumes mostly are spot on. There's not a lot of clothes on the men or women um, in this, which makes it definitely in that canon world. And to be honest with you, with the Paul brothers, um, them wearing the smallest amount of clothes was to try to get as many eyes on their bodies as possible, because that's what this is selling this thing. So, uh, let's get into our story here. Um, the film is set obviously in some historical fantasy world. Um, the Ragnicks are a tribe of peaceful traveling entertainers and they're attacked by the evil tyrant Car uh, Cardar, who takes their queen Canary hostage. Canary, however, manages to hide her magic ruby, um, the lucky ruby of the, the Radniks, which Kandar seeks to bolster his power. The two young twins of the tribe, who are uh, obviously played by two little boys at this point, um, and they're orphans, um, and they're, 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 they go by the names of uh, Kuchek and Gore, um, they bite off two of Kandar's fingers 
and uh, leave him scarred. And But Canary makes him promise that he will never die at his hands. So he enslaves them. Um, in retaliation, Kandar is taken. He takes prisoners as well and agrees to spare their lives if, if Canary becomes um, his bride. But he basically makes her his concubine in a room, in a, you know, his whole harem where she's locked in. And I wish I was kidding. It literally is a trailer off of a truck. Um, and it literally even has the red, uh, you can, I, I think they're supposed to be jewels, but it's clearly just the reflectors from someone, you know, from the trailer than the back of the truck. But that's another story for another day. Um, Tutek, Kutek and Gore are separated and they're put into the slave mines, um, as young children. Now they are very young children. They're like five or six years old and everyone else is the same age they are. The problem is, um, they're, as they're separated, they are now, um, you know, being whipped and whatever. And it's, and, and it, there's a narrative over the top of all this, this great fight scene that occurs. And it tells you a whole story is as they're going on, everyone else stays the exact same age, but these two guys grow from little kids to being in their obviously early twenties. Um, and as they're growing, they start getting bigger and bigger and becoming more and more muscular and they show them growing. It's a lot like when I'm trying to remember, it was at three stooges meet Hercules where you see, the guy who's supposed to be, he turns into Hercules. He's getting bigger. Everyone else is rowing the boat, but this guy is the only guy getting bigger and the Stooges stay the same. Um, once they've become of age, Condor sets them to fight each other to the death in the arena um, where he hides their their faces with these metal helmets. Now he's, for years, Michael Berryman is the dirt master and he's the slave master over all of them. He's been, uh, you know, abusing, having um, them being abused daily. So that they hate whoever wears the helmet. One wears a bronze helmet and one wears a black helmet. And he puts the respective helmets uh, on the other brother. And he's going to have them kill each other. Condor's going to have them kill each other when they get to be of age in uh, you know, in the arena. And this is a perfect example of how this movie is so can so canon. Um, the arena they're fighting in is literally like a corridor with some wood planks tied together with a bunch of extras standing on top. Like there's, there's no arena. There is no, it's not even, this isn't even like shot, like the way like Spartacus was shot for stars or Rome was shot for HBO. This is not, it's certainly not shot at high level there. It's literally like they barely can fit down the corridor. Their shoulders are so wide. Um, but that's what it is. It's made it to look claustrophobic. It's made it to look, I guess, bigger. They make them look bigger than they are, but it is so canon. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Please, please don't take me saying that to mean like me degrading canon. I love canon movies. Canon movies are so much fun um, because they're just nuts sometimes. Some of them are better than others, but sometimes they're just absolutely nuts. And you're like, what are we watching here? And this movie, um, this I can honestly say that this movie is probably um, somebody who was like eight or nine, 10 years old, like the right age I would have been when this came out, probably saw this and fell in love with the movie because this movie is all just barbarians and fights and people getting their hands chopped off and mostly naked ladies and two two uh you know big you know look like shaved gorillas you know kind of thing acting silly and acting juvenile and it's just it's just sword and sandal and it's all there on the screen um they they knew what they were doing they certainly no one here was thinking let's try to remake like like let's make the seventh let's make the seventh seal again you know let's make the 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 yeah the the seventh seal again we need to get like, you know, Bergman in here. Like this was exactly what it says on the outside. And literally there's no doubt about that. So they go to face off with each other. And as they're doing it, and of course they're banging on each other because they don't really know how to use their swords. 
And they start hacking their helmets apart. And they literally go, why do you have my face? Why do you have my face? And like, that's the dialogue kind of you get. Like there is no, they went from these grunting Neanderthal kind of guys to like, literally like, it sounded like two two meatheads in a, in, in a locker room in 1987. And literally this is how they sound. Um, it's, if, if you can put all that stuff aside, and I understand some of you watch these things with a critical eye. If you can put all that aside, you just, this is a movie just to have fun. This is literally, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it over here. This is a movie just having fun. You're just having fun here. Um, and then they remember that they're brothers because they forgot that they're brothers. And now they remember that they're twin brothers, which I've never met twins who forget that they're twins, but they do. And then they decide to destroy everything. They, they break out because the, 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 the pieces of wood that are tied together with twine shockingly can't stop these two behemoths from tearing it apart. Um, so Gore knocks open. He's not like revealing his face, recognizing him after seeing Canary as a prisoner of Condor's side. The twins escape from the fortress in the woods. They find their old tribe mates who are now led by the, uh, the, the, my, the misery ever have led a life of misery, excuse me, after Canary's kidnapping. Um, and uh, a girl named um, Izumi, uh, a thief imprisoned by the Ragnicks. Uh, the first the, uh, first mistaken for enemies, they're nearly hanged, but of course both brothers break free, and um, jocularity ensues at that point. Um, incensed by the cruelties Kondar has imposed upon their lives, the two brothers plan to go back and seek revenge on the tyrant. Um, Izumi leads them to the uh, local trading post where they get some weapons, uh, but they, they they were trying to get some weapons. They wind up leaving empty-handed um, because the dealer challenges them to a bout of arm wrestling, which proves into uh, and he proves that he's a bad loser. This is where um, we see uh, what's his name. We see George Eastman as Jacko um, in this scene. It, the comedy he I, I know what they're trying to do. The comedy doesn't land well. Um, these guys are humongous bodybuilders, and we're supposed to believe that no matter how tall. Um, you know, Jacko is, you know, he, that he somehow can match strength with one of them. There's a thing with a snake that he, like one of the brothers breathes on or scares it. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're going for, but maybe that's because I'm 44 years old looking at it now on a movie I saw, oh, decades and decades ago. And at the time I might not have even recognized it was like silly. I probably did, but probably didn't think about it. But part of the problem is if I had never seen like Conan the Barbarian or Conan the Destroyer or other sword and sand, like I might've re realized that like, oh, they're trying to do comedy here and, and it doesn't land well, but it, it, it definitely is what they're doing. Um, and it's silliness um, to an end. They mean like, like they tear an apple in half and they're eating an apple. It's like, like, okay, like did that have to be there? I don't, I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure where some of those thoughts were, but the, the two brothers of course are wearing, loincloths and that's what the whole scene is pretty much about anyway where were we so they don't get the weapons uh okay three of them uh then they try to sneak into the palace harem where um uh the, the brothers find canary in prison instead of um being freed however canary insists that the two brothers recover the ruby and that um they be secreted to an area called the forbidden land where the ragnicks first received the ruby and which is guarded by a fearsome dragon now um, their presence in the in the palace is eventually discovered by China, who is the Kandar's court sorcerer, um, and she's intent on seizing the ruby herself. 
and she tortures Canary for the information and then parts for the Forbidden Land um, where, uh, where she can find the gem before the brothers get there. Um, China and her entourage are met by the dragon, which, of course, then devours her. Now, let's talk about this dragon and let's talk about these monsters. Um, it is it is canon uh, there for sure. These are puppets and things in suits. They're guys in suits and stuff jumping out of water. There's stuff shooting their hands out of ground. There's it's 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 not this is this is not uh, Botine's the thing. This is not um, it, this is not uh, Rick Baker. This is not Sam. This is not Stan Winston. This is not any of that stuff. This is uh, effects on a budget. And as a kid, I probably would have loved it because it's very, very, it looks cheesy now. It looks cheesy now. But when you think about what's going on in this movie, it is actually perfect for this film. Um, there are creatures coming out of the swamp. There's this dragon that you're just wondering what what in the blue heck they were thinking. Um, but it is it is exactly what I expected when you start this movie and you see the level of the, the, the helmets that the, that everything's wearing. Like you see the way the swords are kind of, most of them are bent. Um, you know, you see this, the way everything is in this film. It is, it is, it, this movie is, is to be, to put it this way. Some people be like, Oh, this is a movie like Rift Tracks and, and, you know, Misty should do. And it could, it definitely could, but this is a movie that you enjoy with a bunch of buddies of a like mind, uh, maybe you imbue in a few adult beverages, as uh, you know, my brother would say. You know, crack up with a case of your favorite stuff. You know, you're just this is this is this is this is not even a popcorn movie. This is just junk food. This is this is junk food. This is what this is. Um, I had a, a hoot, a hoot watching this again today uh, for you guys. Um, so yeah, so the dragon devours him. Uh, following, so now the brothers following Canary's advice. The twins, uh, the three of them, travel first to the secret tomb to recover several magical weapons to fight the dragon, where they then have to fight off some uh, of these creatures, which is disguised in suits, and then proceed to the Forbidden Land. The dragon tries to kill them, but the brothers slay it by hiding in a hole and then cutting its guts open. And they literally slice this thing stem to stern, and just the amount of goo, green goo that just pours all over these two poor gentlemen and their rippling muscles just just gallons and gallons and gallons of goo pouring all over them it is funny it is i i understand what they're going for but i'm like okay and of course it's green because if it's green you don't have to worry about sensors cutting it because it's not bloody and gory it's just silly this movie technically is r it is r there is some nudity you see some breast um, in the movie, I don't think you see anything. You don't see any cash and prizes, so to speak. Um, and there's definitely violence. There's no swearing or anything. Um, but this is this this movie would be if if there was no no exposed breast. This is PG-13 at the worst because of the violence, quote unquote. I mean, people's hands get chopped off, but there's no blood, you know, kind of thing. Like it's it's just what it is. People are getting eating, but there's no blood. Um, so th that happens is obviously they cut the thing from stem to stern. But they got to go inside to get the ruby. So they climb inside the dragon where they find China with the ruby. And I'm like, of course they're inside the dragon. Of course. I had totally forgotten they climbed inside the dragon after cutting this thing from stem to stern. And they climb in there. And it's just weird. But the, um, yeah, you know, uh, they, they, they entrust the gem 
to, to Izmi and to return it to the Ragnicks while they prepare to carry their final fight to Kandor. Um, but then Kandor, who is who discovered uh, that China has you know betrayed him and has um, you know stolen him and, and gotten the information out of Canary, arrives in the Forbidden Land with Canary, knowing that her time is at an end. Canary calls upon the magic ruby to make Kandor kill her. Uh, so she she calls upon the ruby's powers to to uh, you know to double not not double his vision but blind him, and he's stabbing blindly at her. This, this vision of her, and he eventually kills her. Um, and she knew that this was going to be obviously where she was going to die, and that the brothers would come back to the Forbidden Land to avenge her. But it, it's just weird watching this. You just, it, I feel like, I feel like there's there's a couple. I'm not saying that there's story missing, because I doubt there's story missing. I feel like so, the guy who's writing it like stopped. At some point, and then forgot where he was, and said, "No, I'll just pick it up because I remember," but didn't bother going back and looking, because, like, I don't know, things jump and stuff. It's, it's not, oh my god, unsettling, but it's like, wait, how did they get here? Why did no one age but the two brothers? Why is this happening? How come no one remembers their names? How come this is going on? Why didn't someone recognize the tattoos on their neck earlier so they would know who they are? Like. I don't, I don't know why this is happening. And you might say, Jay, maybe it's because, you know, you know, you know, you, you've had a lot of chemo in your life. Maybe you don't realize what's going on, but I literally backed it up and watched it again. And I thought maybe because I had missed it. I'm like, maybe, you know, I blanked and I'm like, no, but it's just not there. Um, and if you watch this movie, you're going to say the same thing to yourself. You know, you're like, Jay, this is just, you know, this is candy. This is, you know, this is junk food kind of movie. And it's, you know, it's fun. And it is, I'm not saying it's not, but it's just, there are holes, like like holes in teeth, like like the cavity creeps showed up and said, we make holes in teeth kind of thing. Anyway, um, so uh, now that she's uh, now that uh, Canary is dead, uh, the, 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 the ruby turns into a stone when when uh, Izumi gets back to uh, the 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 tribe, um, the brothers uh, now they're there. OK, so what happens is when they get back there is now turned to stone. But Ismay refuses to give up, and then the ruby is actually restored, which aroused the Radniks to, um, and I don't know where this idea came from. They get all the virgins, which is two girls, but they don't think about Ismay, who might be a virgin, and she might be part of their tribe, because she seems to know a lot about them, but not so much. But they don't get that. And they put it on their belly button. And if it stays attached to your belly button, you're the queen. And I'm not exactly sure who thought this was a good idea, except they wanted to look at some some semi-naked ladies' belly buttons. But they did, and it doesn't stay on either of the belly buttons. So then someone says, hey, get that chick over here. So they drag her kicking and screaming over, and they put it on her belly button. Now, Isamay, the whole time, is this thief whom we know. And if anyone's kind of followed along here, um, oh, I you had the twins, but there was a young girl with them named Kara, who they've lost years ago, and no one knows where Kara is. If you don't think that this girl is Kara, and from literally Jump Street, like two seconds into this movie, that you're like, at some point, Kara's got to come back and become the queen. I don't know how much road signing you missed. The only thing that might be more of a road sign was a literal road sign, which I think might have been in one of the scenes, but I might have missed it. I'm just so, they it stays on her stomach. She becomes the new queen. Now you have uh, the two brothers going to go fight Cador, uh, Cador, excuse me. So they go to fight 
that they go to fight him. And the fight scene is weird. Um, he's on a horse. He blinds them with the shield. And then they smash the shield. And then he like turns his back on them and puts the sword away. But you're like, he. I know he's tricking them because they're really dumb. And they. And I don't mean that to, against the two brothers, but the barbarians are supposed to be dumb in the movie. And he tricks them and then like slices them both on the ribs, but that doesn't slow them down or stop them. And to the point where they finally knock him off the horse, one has an ax, the other has a sword. They get his sword and then he's going to come at them and they throw both swords through him. Like not stab him, throw the swords through him. And one of the swords is completely got like a 60 degree angle in it. And like, I don't mean like, like, like it's a hook sword. It's a straight sword that now is bent out the back end of the guy. Um, I don't know. I feel like they just kind of were like, oh, we got to end this thing. And they didn't have an ending because I think the ending was like, well, we had the dragon already. What are we going to do? Well, can this guy turn into something? No, this isn't like Beastmaster. So we're going to do something else. And they just kind of went with it. Um, and of course now that he's dead because now that's the tyrant. He's dead. And of course now, uh, Kara is now the new ruler of their tribe. And of course they're going back with Kara because they grew up Well, they started growing up with her. Then they all got separated. And then, um, they get, they go, they want to you know, get back with their tribesmen and live their life in peace as free spirited, um, you know, uh, entertainers and travelers. And literally the movie ends with them on the caravan arguing over who gets to hold the range and who gets to hold the whip as Kara sits between them smiling. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that was the original ending. Well, I'm see them being in peace is the ending. I don't know if the death was the ending or they just kind of figured, Oh man, we already killed the dragon. This guy doesn't turn into a monster. It would make sense if the guy would somehow, I don't know, have something where he turned into a monster or maybe he had other guys or, Something I'm not 100% sure. All I know is this is that, um, um, if when you watch this movie, you would not be surprised that the um, both Peter and David Paul were nominated for the Golden Raspberry Award for the worst new stars in Hollywood. Um, I don't know if they won it or not. I'm looking, I don't see that they won it, but I know they were nominated, so you gotta wonder what's going on. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So I'm looking here, um. There, like I said, the budget for this thing is kind of hard to say. Some reports say that it could be as much as $2.5 million. Um, that seems maybe a little high. It probably is about right. This movie did not make money. I mean, I should, okay, so I've said Canon movies make money. They do. Canon movies knew how to, Canon knew how to, the, 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 they knew how to sell through the Go Go Boys, as they're usually called. And by the way, if you've never seen the Go Go Boys documentary, well worth the time watching it if you're into how movies are made and about like the canon films and stuff like that. It doesn't go into the movies nearly as much as I would love. Um, it goes much more into who they are as people. Um, but, you know, it's what it is. Um, so, like I said, this movie didn't even gross a million dollars. Opening weekend under 300000 on supposedly 89 screens. Uh, uh, it, it is... Uh, it's... I don't, I, I don't know. There's There's... Things about this film that are, again are are crazy and nuts, and and I've called it junk food before, and I've called it very canon, and it's very that. Um, Kino Lobert puts this out on Blu-ray. Think about that. 
Kino Lobert puts this out on Blu-ray. Why? Because because it's European, because it's canon and it's European at times and whatever. That's why it comes out there. But but like Kino Lobert puts out like high-end stuff, and then there's this. Um, some people would say this is likened to the fact that like like Criterion put out Equinox, which is not good. I mean, some people try to like point at like Fiend Without a Face being put out by Criterion, and I'll fight people on that because Fiend Without a Face is a an outstanding science fiction movie. And let's be honest, that movie deserves to do good treatment. Um, you know, like I said, I, I actually didn't buy this. I actually watched it on prime because it was available on prime when I was doing this, but I had, it had come up as a movie. You might be interested in because let's face it. I buy a lot of key. I buy a lot of Blu-rays. I do. I buy a lot of Kino Lobero Blu-rays. I do. And this came up as something you might be interested in. And I was like, Oh my God, the barbarians. I haven't thought about this movie in forever. And then I'm trying to remember it. And I remember some of this movie because I was young, but I don't remember all this movie. The problem is it's the stuff I don't remember. I know why I don't remember because they don't make a heck of a lot of sense. And some of you were saying, but Jay, well, why would we want to go watch this? And I, it, it is, it is fun. I'm not saying I didn't have fun for the 87 minutes. Um, some stuff is a little com like confusing just by the way it jumps. And the acting is, is, is poor at times from, from the Paul brothers. Um, and I don't, and I don't mean to pile on them, but I don't think they were actors. They were really good at picking things up and putting things down. In this movie, they do a lot of moving rocks and moving things out of way of doorways and of breaking things. And, and they do a lot of like, there's, I don't know if it's supposed to be, he's like, like supposed to sound like, like, like a mule at some point. One of them laughs weird. And it's like, I don't, I don't know what they were going for. I'm not a hundred percent sure if they knew what they were going for. But I think they they told them, look, overact this thing. Like, don't be the strong silent type. Let's try to make you guys funny. And I think that works better because I don't know if this works as a, this doesn't work as a serious movie. This definitely works in the kind of vein of being silly-ish. Um, but it is what it is. Now, um, it, it I don't I don't know how else to say this. It's it's some people will absolutely love this movie. If you are a huge B-movie fan, and you know, guys know I love B-movies, and you like your B-movies with lots of cheese, this movie's got a lot of beef and cheese. This is like an Arby's sandwich. This is like an Arby's extra beef and cheese. And I like Arby's extra beef and cheese, even though I can't eat them anymore. Um, but like, I'm just saying this movie's got a lot of beef and cheese in it. There is, there is a lot of beefcake on there. There is definitely a lot of uh, cheesecake. There's a lot of women um, who are not, who are scantily clad. Um, there's a little bit of nudity, not much. Um, there's some implied, uh, that they might be doing things with women that you maybe don't want to, but they don't show you anything. There's no rape or anything on screen. There's nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, um, I watched this without my girls, but like, I would think Haley would appreciate both of them, you know, like, Hey, look at those guys, how big they are. And Kelly would appreciate, you know, two very well, you know, oiled up muscly men. Um, but they're on the screen like nine, like they're on the screen, like 80% of the movie. So it's not like it's like titillating at all. And, and they're not, they're not portrayed in any, uh, sexual way where it might be like, Ooh, that's really hot. You know, it's really sexy. It's not, they're kind of like, they're kind of goose. Um, they're kind of just meatheads. And, and again, it's a fun distraction. Um, you know, some, some people have given this thing, you know, like, you know, great ratings, and you look at other ratings. There's, it's god awful. Um, if it has its audience, and it and it definitely lives in the canon film 
um, you know, collection. Like it's in there. It, it fits with what they did. So, uh, it's, it's a, as of this recording, um, it's available on prime. If you want to check it out. Um, if you're interested in the Blu-ray, the Blu-ray usually ranges like $16.99. I myself am not going to pick it up on Blu-ray. I know that's a hard, uh, to believe for some of us, especially some of us who are big, uh, you know, physical media collectors. This does not seem like a movie that is worth my time and effort to pick up on Blu-ray because I don't know if I'd watch it again um, where I'd want to actually pop it in. On Prime, is it a movie that might go on in the background if I was working on something? Sure, but it's not even necessarily one of those. Um, there's so many other movies I enjoy so much more um, or documentaries like In Search of Darkness 1, 2, and 3, In Search of Tomorrow, those kind of things where I might pop those on for background noise. But um, but yeah, folks, like we said here, you know, at Boss Bugs and Babes, we try to give you, you know, a smattering of things. I think this one gives you, you know, kind of something different, something you haven't seen in a while. Um, you know, uh, do you remember Barbarian, the, the Barbarians? Do you remember this? Did you remember watching it? Is this maybe something you saw? Now, I, I, you have to remember, um, again, getting older here. I don't remember if this was ever on, like, I am sure, I am sure that this stuff showed up on like HBO or Showtime or Cinemax, whatever was like the dawn of cable. This is the kind of stuff. These movies were easy. 87 minute programmers, public men. Um, I'm not sure if this ever showed up on like, um, like USA up all night. I'm not sure if this ever showed up on one of those kind of things. Um, but do you have memories of it? Let us know, shoot it in. I know, I know dad wasn't on here and he's probably never seen this movie and it's probably for the better. Um, but like, I mean, I have no problem. Again, let me know. I would love to hear from you. So, um, you know, folks, again, like I said, well worth it. Well worth. If you love this kind of stuff, I'd love to hear from you. Um, to me, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, it's, 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 it's junk food and you can't eat junk food all the time. So, um, knowing, knowing that we can't eat junk food all the time. Um, and I know dad and I just, you know, we wrapped up, we talked about nightmares earlier this month. And then this is just wrapping up May. Um, I also thought about what do you call it? I know June's right around the corner and June is Gemini, the twins. Hey, look, there's twins. There's my tie in. Boom. There you go. Um, dad and I are coming back in June. Um, you know, and as I said to you, the plan right now is for June to be another movie from 1968. Um, that is a lot more serious than this movie. So that's one of the reasons why I also wanted to throw something a little lighter in here. Um, so maybe, you know, so when we talk about, um, the plan is for June is that we're going to talk about 1968's movie Targets. If you have not watched Targets yet, please watch Targets before you listen to the podcast. I'm telling you now, if you've never seen Targets, go watch it. You can, I own it on Prime. There is a, the Criterion, I don't know the release date of the Criterion. It's, it is way out of print, but the Criterion is coming. If you've never seen Targets, please go watch it because when dad and I talk about targets, it's going to ruin the film if you've never seen it and it's powerful and you should see it. Um, so I'm just throwing it out there to you. That's the plan, of course. And dad and I will be back this summer with having Costello meet Frankenstein. And um, the plan is, of course, for Halloween part four. I cannot wait for dad to see Halloween part uh, Halloween. Excuse me. Excuse me. That is so wrong of me. Friday the 13th part four. Excuse me. Friday the 13th part four because dad's already seen one, two and three. And now we get. At, you know, and, and I think everyone can agree when part four came out, that was the quintessential Friday the 13th. People were like, this is it. And then be on the lookout for this fall for a bunch of really cool stuff coming up and maybe some guests, um, you know, coming back on. So folks, 
Uh, thank you so much for the downloads and listens. Thank you so much for supporting us. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of times it's dad and I, of course, and Luke is here. And of course, all the friends of the show, John LeMay and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jonathan Inbody. And of course, uh, you know, all the members of the Two True Freaks Network um, who put in, you know, who are doing this as a labor of love. And, you know, we're, we're making our podcast for you guys so that you guys have entertainment. Um, you know, we, we love you guys. Thank you all for all the downloads and listens. Um, I hope everyone has, uh, you know, a great time, a great spring going into the summer. And uh, like I said, you'll see here, dad and I coming back. So like we say around here, folks, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at Two True Freaks. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at bots.com bugsbabes at gmail.com If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter at Jason Giaconetti, and you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow!